Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game, Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Can you train yourself from an early age to not laugh? I feel like laughing is... Comedy isn't a meme. No. Comedy is more emotion... Well, it's a fair question. I think they've done studies, right, on uh, is laughter inherent or is it sort of a learned skill? And if you grew up around it, I think it'd be pretty hard. I guess the only way that I can see that you might be able to protect yourself if you want to call it that. Protect yourself from Pro- ever having <laughs> yeah. fun. Yeah, the fear of laughter. If if you want to, um, you know, inoculate yourself or uh, immunize yourself against laughter and, and fun, you'd have to be really good at anticipating the joke because so much of humor to me, anyways, is breaking expectation. Like, yes. oh, I expected this to go this way, and whoa, you told the pants off joke and things changed from my expectation. This might actually shock you uh, based on... Actually, this won't shock you based on how hilarious I am on this podcast. Right. When I was in college, I read a book, and it's about 500 pages called Comedy Writing Secrets. And that really, they could take it from 500 pages, and they could just take it down to one sentence. Yeah, there, which is, there's your sentence. Which is, comedy is based on breaking people's expectations. Right. Throwing people curveballs. Interestingly, the uh, twins have been comedic in how much they've also... Broken expectations this season. How comedic they've been at times and how they can't hit curveballs <laughs> right. or well, throw curveballs. And how they I, can hang curveballs. For a lot of Twins fans, I'll just to circle it back, I I can't imagine it's actually very funny. Like there's a certain point you just throw up your hands and you're like, oh, okay, fine. But then like is a, is a series like you had in Seattle against the Mariners like a better thing or, or even a worse thing? I mean you swept a team, so obviously I'm not arguing it's a bad thing. But now you're like, ah. Oh, Seriously, like, if this would have come earlier, like maybe the season's a little different. Maybe we don't start playing like we have our hands around our throats. I don't know, but yeah. um, I think if you're a Twins fan, this times can get a little maddening when you see really good individual performances and the team collection and record is still just like a disaster. Well, I think, and I saw you fending off some of the "what does this mean" crowd on Twitter. This is the second time they've swept an AL West opponent this year, right? They, they swept the Angels. They did, after yeah. After falling zero and nine, as uh, as our friend Pat Royce says, "Fire Sosha." Yeah, got swept by the Twins. I mean, there's a very simple explanation for what happened 
twin sweeping a Mariners team that's in contention for the playoffs, likely going to be there all season. The explanation is baseball. <laughs> right. It's baseball. Yeah. You can go up and down. You know, the Chicago Cubs are the Chicago Cubs are going to flirt with 100 wins this year. They might even flirt if they keep going. They might even flirt with the major league wins record, but I think they're going to they've tapered off a little and I think they they're going to regress if sure. that's the right word. Sure. It is. Yeah. Toward 100 or 95 as opposed to uh staying in line to beat the Mariners record. But if the if if you go back and look, the Cubs are going to wind up playing the Braves however many times this year, six or seven times. And maybe they've already played them and I, maybe I'm already wrong on this. The Braves are going to beat them. Mm-hmm. The Braves are terrible. The Twins are terrible. Terrible teams beat good teams all the time in baseball. Same with hockey. Now in the NBA, pretty rare that the Wolves are going to beat the Warriors. They did this season. Yep. But but and that was a different Wolves team at the end of the year. That was more of a playoff flirtation team if you took that snapshot of a rising Wolves team. So uh, I don't think we have to look for deeper meaning. Oh, what does it mean? Let's hyperanalyze this or that. Mm-hmm. It's a team that uh, that's going to finish in last place that popped up for a minute because it's baseball, yeah. and they beat a team that's going to flirt with the playoffs. Pat Dean starts a game against King Felix Hernandez and – as I would, um, what was the spro- what was the I know the money line right on that? exactly I didn't see it I was actually like a minus two forty or something I was I was unplugged for that game but I would say uh, you know this just as well if I had talked to you on uh, your wonderful radio show in the morning that day you and Judd would have asked me some inflammatory question like what are the Twins' chances you know like what. Could they? I mean, Pat Dean. How much are they going to lose by? Is it even possible? Do they even have a chance? And Judd, I'm I, not. I wouldn't have asked those. I'm questions. not throwing you under the bus. You're just guilty by association here. <laughs> Judd would have said, "Oh man, you know why? Why would they even play tonight? You know, is there hot take monster? Yeah, and and he would ask me, what What's the chance? Is there any chance they win tonight? And me being the non-zero chance guy, I would say, yes, there is a non-zero chance they beat. Felix Hernandez in the Mariners. I mean, it helps if you hit three, four home runs a night. It helps if Joe Maurer sure. and Miguel Sano homer every day of their lives. That would be nice. That would be helpful. Um, but my explanation when someone asked, um, yeah, I mean, like, is this a turning point? It, and it could be. I don't know. We might look back on August 1st and say, man, the reason the Twins were not the laughing stock of baseball is after that Mariner series, things just picked right up. Well, if you want to be really philosophical and you want to be existential, it could be a turning point, but it just depends on what your definition of turning point is. So maybe their original direction was flirt with the New York Mets of the 1960s. It was it 1962, the worst yeah, team in baseball 62 history? 62 Mets. And so maybe this is a turning point toward not quite as historically bad. Oh, it depends on what you mean by turning point. Is it is it a turning point for them to get back in the AL Central race? Well, no. Yeah, no. But is it a turning point for them to maybe not lose 100 and Buxton comes up, which we'll talk about in a second? Sure. Oh, maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah, they, they're they going to be better off when it comes to racing against 100 losses that they swept the Mariners in those yeah. three games. Sure. Right. The wins matter, just as every <laughs> loss mattered in the first six, seven weeks of the season. Byron Buxton could well be a turning point on his own. Who knows? Miguel Sano made if he could have found his power stroke here. He might um, actually wind up being the Twins All Star when it's all said. Sure, I thought Fernando Abad was the leader in the clubhouse there. Still might be. You never know. I've been getting a lot of tweets for Eddie Nunez to be the yeah. Twins representative. Ah, uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, we've seen players kind of pop up though for a half season, and historically, anyways, 
They don't get a lot of love. Yeah, for Miguel Sano popped up for the first half of this season. Sure. <laughs> wow. Kept, so did Brian Dozier. popping up. Yeah. <laughs> so did Brian Dozier. Dozier was the better joke. Uh, that's okay. We, Dozier's we, still popping up. <laughs> we finish each other's jokes. <laughs> Phil, that was that was pretty good. Um, you watch Arrested Development or no? I don't think uh, that you do. I've had a couple episodes, enough to know the flavor of it. Just yeah. the, jo- the joke of, we're always finishing each other's... Sandwiches. Sandwiches, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, uh, well, I, okay, so Nunez, I'm not yet sold that he'd be the all-star just because guys pop up. But but hey, there are plenty of guys named to the all-star team. Fernando Abad and Miguel Sano might make it for all we know. We should do an all-star podcast here in a, in a couple of weeks. when Talking about other teams' all-stars. Right. Yeah, right. Boy, wouldn't it be great if the Twins had Eric Hosmer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Look at the National League. Could you imagine if Jake Arrieta was on this and team? And Bryce Harper. Oh, my god, That would be so sick. It would be so good, bro. Yeah, like, uh, okay, that's not a lot of fun. That that lasts for about two seconds. Um, I... Th- I, I like where you're going with the whole existential um, idea of is it a turning point? Like I don't know. You can't know that until it's very clear in retrospect. Like last year, was it? I'm going to get these series wrong, so please feel free to correct me if I'm mistaken here. But they go to New York in August. Oh, yeah. I think this was three the JR, JR Graham blow up. Three game embarrassment. Well, season's over. It looked like a nice little story for a while, and Tory Hunter Renaissance, and okay, um, you know that was a fun little Twins team. We'll remember the 2015 Twins as the team that that flirted with our expectations for a little bit, and then ultimately disappointed. And I thought, okay, stick a fork in it. And I'm I don't stick forks in teams. You've heard this. You guys asked me on the radio after three weeks of the train wreck, and we're like, are the Twins done? And I said, well, no. I mean, like the. It might not go to the postseason, but they still might. I mean, it, there's yeah. just when you're trying to gauge whether a team's done, you're more of a meat thermometer guy. Don't you're ask not me. You want to put a fork in there? You want to put a right. digital meat thermometer? Well, I want to actually. I just want to put my hand up next to the cooked meat and see, like, is that warm? And then if it's warm, then I check it. Is it hot to the touch? If it's hot to the touch, then I'll stick a meat thermometer in it. Sure. Whereas Judd. Pop it in the oven, set the timer, and then stick a fork in it. He's like, I'm done with this. I'm finished. As a guy who wouldn't ordinarily write teams off like that, I'm just kind of a long process. More, that's just how my brain works. I just think about it in a, the bigger picture rather than like a weekend to weekend thing. I said they were done. I was like, well, that was a fun story. Now the Twins are done. Then what did they do? They go to Baltimore and sweep a four game series against an okay to decent Orioles team. I was like, wow, that showed some real resilience. Um, I would not have said at the time. Uh, I, I would have said at the time, rather, that the Yankee series, I said, that's a turning point. Their season was riding all right along, and then boom, slammed on the brakes, over. Well, guess what? The next four days, next five days, whatever, they pulled themselves out of it, and they went on, and they kept themselves in postseason contention until that second to last day. I would not have predicted that after the Yankee series. So my only point is that, like, Turning points, uh, you can really only see them from 30,000 feet. And see, I'm going to be even more hands-off in this conversation. I'm gun-shy based on what happened almost exactly five years ago. Are you the guy that then turns on the oven light so you can look through the door without even like pulling it out? Because you don't want the heat to get out. You just um, turn on the light and check, and does it look like it's cooked? Put it, it this like way. I put my whole arm in the oven five years ago almost to the day here. If you remember, this okay. is before you and I worked together. 
Um, you might have even been at the Minnesota Daily. Was I was I even born then? I'm trying, trying to remember back. It's possible you weren't even yeah. born in 2011. <laughs> right. And okay. uh, the Twins, they I'll never forget the exact record too. They fell to 17 and 37 in their first 54 games that season. 17 and 37. What are they right now? They're like 20, they're 19. No, they they lost another one. So they're 20 games exactly. Their low point this year was actually like 22 or 23 games below. Then they swept, whatever it was. Anyways, 2011, they end the month of May 20 games under 500, which is really hard to do unless you're also this year's Twins team. Then it's right. becoming increasingly well, easier. I was going to say do. the Twins are disproving yeah. that theory. It's not that hard to do. Uh, I found myself maybe a month later or so as they went on and became the hottest team in baseball for a five- or six-week stretch, peddling It's Happening t-shirts all over social media as they took a 9 nothing lead while six games below 500. So they made up 14 games in like a month. They were 9 nothing lead in the first inning on Madison Bumgarner I remember in that San Francisco. Yeah, I remember that And, of game. course, we had a snafu. Our old promotions director here uh, was a little bit behind on getting those T-shirts out of the public. So Uh-oh. We, we could have sold about 500 shirts that night, but <laughs> I'm not bitter. But anyways. Uh, yeah, I, it doesn't sound like it at all. I took the hook and the line. I took it all. I thought this team's getting healthy. This team was a 94-win team the year before, and now they're figuring this thing out. Uh, so when it comes to turning points, they don't exist in baseball. That's my right. mentality. They don't. They you may think they exist, but baseball is such a finicky, odd sport, and it can be so dependent on just various minutia and sure. factors. There's, it's not like football where oh, your defense has figured out how to get to the quarterback yep. or whatever, or your your quarterback has has come of age. Mm-hmm. Teddy Bridgewater or Russell Wilson have come of age. There's so many components in baseball yeah. that it makes it hard to say, oh, yeah, that three-game series in Seattle is predictive of what might happen here uh, going forward. Well, and I want, to get, I want to get to Byron Buxton here in a second, but I just want to make one final point, mostly out of my own curiosity, asking you how you think about baseball. I used to, and I'll tell a story about myself because I care more about me than I care about you, but sure. I'm going to pretend really quickly. I actually care more about you than me, too. Oh, you know, wow. We're I'm on the same page unselfish there. guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're right, you're right. Um, what I, would, I used to hear people talk about momentum doesn't exist in baseball. Momentum is tomorrow's starting pitcher. I used to hear that and think, yeah, yeah, I agree. Man, I... I mean, you can be on a hot streak, and if Ricky Nolasco goes and lays an egg, then, yeah, your momentum's done suddenly. And then I sort of rounded the corner, and I thought, boy, I don't know. If an offense is just feeling it, and there's four guys in the middle of the lineup that are just on the pulse, um, I agree that momentum gets overstated, but does it not matter? Boy, I'm not sure. Baseball is maybe a little different than basketball, but you see Steph Curry's Warriors get on a roll, and it's like, well, okay, you got to basically just hope you can hang with them, and then when they're done rolling, you're still within striking distance. I mean, that's that's how you, that's in a nutshell, playing the Warriors this season. Now, baseball, yeah, a little bit different, but I started to think, uh, I don't know if Miguel Sano homers four days in a row. Uh, Ricky Nolasco matters a little bit, but if you're going to score seven, eight, nine runs a game as an offense, is your starting pitcher really that important? And now I've come back into the full circle of I'm tired of this notion of, well, the Twins lost yesterday and they lost the day before, so they're going to lose today because that's just who they are. They can't perform. Now, if the team's not very good, then, of course, they're probably going to lose more often than they win. 
But we have gotten away from this idea that people keep asking me, what's wrong with the Twins? Well, a lot of things are wrong with the Twins, but it starts with the starting pitching. Their starters, as high-priced as they may be, have been mostly awful this year. And it's hard to overcome that. Because then the starters start thinking, well, there's more pressure. i got to be better. Mm-hmm. We've got to go deeper into games. The bullpen starts getting taxed more. You have to start using guys. And if you lose your best reliever on April 11th for God knows who, how long, well, that's going to hurt your bullpen too. And then your bullpen suffers. And when your pitching staff as a whole is suffering to the tune of being one of the worst in all of baseball, well, then your offense has a lot of pressure. you got to try to pick up the slack somewhere. And I think it's been sort of a cyclical problem for the Twins. I think... If you want to talk about turning points or, or inflection points, it would be as soon as they start getting consistent starting pitching. I don't see where that starts. I don't know what the easy key to it is, but I do think that that axiom, that old baseball truism, absolutely has some merit to it. See, here's my criticism of the my, – my general criticism of the Twins and where we're at here. I guess it'll be July, uh, June 1st when most people will listen to this podcast. kind of wish it was July 1st or get closer yeah. to the trading deadline. Uh, the Twins are likely to point to – Injuries, I'm talking front office and, and just different people around the, the ball club. Injuries, they've had a ton of them. Bad luck and some prospects not panning out early to the degree that you thought. I think Buxton, and he's up, and I think he's going to finally figure it out here. He did in AAA and Sano. But, but think about this. Now that Sano is heating up, let's say Buxton comes back here and maybe he's not this five-tool Mike Trout-type player right away, but let's just say he's effective. And Dozier starts to find it a little bit, and he's been a little better sure. since being benched for a couple games. Yeah, I argue this team, instead of being twenty games below five hundred, could be more of a manageable seven-ish games below five hundred. So take their—they um, were fifteen and thirty-five, and I—I I, I have to go look at what their exact record is right now because, much like you, I enjoy Memorial Day weekend yeah, well, without being glued to the Twins. And uh, their day-to-day record is almost meaningless. So, so 15 and 35 is 20 games below. Let's mm-hmm. just say if they had planned better with their rotation and or with their bullpen and or with their defense, if they don't create a roster logjam, instead they go in and they say, whatever happens with these young players and with some of these question marks in the rotation, we know we're going to be great in the outfield defensively. We know our bullpen is going to be great because those are the things we focused on. Maybe that 15 wins is 20. Maybe instead of 15 and 35, maybe they're 20 and 30, or maybe they're 22 and 28 or something like that. My point is you can't just shrug your shoulders and say, well, if I mean, if Sano had gotten off to a better start or if Buxton had figured it out, it's just bad luck. It's just It just took Buxton a couple extra months. Or, well, how could we predict that Glenn Perkins was going to go down? I think this would have been a bad start no matter what because Buxton didn't figure it out right away and because Sunel got off to a bad start and Brian Dozier. So if those things go wrong, there's almost no way you can still be in the mix for the AL Central at this point in the season. It's like your starting quarterback got hurt. Right, but I think there were other things you could have done if you want to make the football analogy. Sure. Your secondary could have been better. Yep. Maybe your kicker sucks, and you yep. knew that going into the season, but you just kind of – crossed your fingers and hoped yeah well yeah no matter what if your starting quarterback goes down you're not going to go 13 and 3 but maybe instead of being 3 and 13 at the end of the year maybe you could have been 6 and 10 with a chance to even flirt with the you know what i'm saying yeah yeah absolutely so i i'm still you know if if they had taken a few other areas more seriously i think this always would have been a bad start but instead of historically bad or the season is over before the second week is over bad, mm-hmm. you could have still been fighting as some of these players started to figure things out. 
what is the biggest area in your mind that the Twins did not take as seriously as they should have, or, or that they should have more? I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just propping you up here. For... I think I think uh, I think outfield defense. Okay. I think outfield defense because it helps your pitching staff. Mm. I could have said bullpen. But I think bullpen is helped by outfield defense in a lot of ways. Yeah. There's some pitchers with the Royals that are lights out in that bullpen, but that are made like Wade Davis is lights out. But he's even more lights out because Lorenzo Kane is catching fly balls over here and Gerard sure. Dyson is over there. But by putting Miguel Sano in the outfield, I think you may have, and I can't prove this, you may have caused him to be psyched out a little bit just in general as he tries to learn a new position. And and there's there's, it's not that he's faultless or blameless in this because I don't think he took right field seriously. I don't think he takes it fully seriously. Yeah. Um, but you went in knowing you had a mediocre pitching staff and also knowing that your outfield defense was borderline train wreck with yeah. Arcia going to get regular playing time, Snow over here. Um, Thank goodness for hoping, Robbie Grossman. You're hoping that Byron Buxton would click early, yeah. but you, you can't plan on that. Right. So what's your backup? Right. Oh, it's an infielder. Right. Oh, it's Danny Santana. So that's and not to kick, continue to kick the dead horse, but I just think this is bad. But as we talk about turning points and different things, what if that sweep against Seattle, instead of bringing them within 19 games of 500, what if it brought them within six games of 500? Yeah. You'd be thinking, oh, okay, this Different isn't season. dead yet. Now Buxton comes up, and yep. all of a sudden yep. you're only a handful of games back in the division. Yep. As we do this, I believe they're 12 or 13 games back in their division. Well, what if you're only seven games back in your division? Mm-hmm. You still feel like you're in this thing, right. even if it's not realistic. Yeah, well, That's my criticism. Uh, I would say, to answer my own question about what they should have taken more seriously, like I've Credit to them for finding Fernando Abad. He's been great. We'll see if it continues all year. But Not Abad signing. No. He... Not at all. I'm going to take a little pause here just to collect myself. Not collect Abad, my thoughts. lefty. Great find. You know, good good for them that this guy they signed to a minor league contract turned out to be their best reliever. But that is also the problem. Fernando Abad is their best reliever. Glenn Perkins gets hurt, which, by the way, I was cautioning them all winter on this podcast. Hey, Perkins, no sure thing. If he's there, great. That's a bonus. Build a bullpen that would be great without Perkins. And then if Perkins is there, suddenly everyone's got a slightly easier role. And you don't have to rely on some some of these guys for the high leverage stuff because Perkins is there. And that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But Kevin Jepsen doesn't get enough blame for how awful he's been the first seven, eight weeks of the season. Since you're patting yourself on the back for the Perkins thing. No, can no, no. I, that's not what I'm trying to I, say. No, I, I want to. Can okay. I pat myself on the back yes. for saying Kevin Jepsen was the most likely regression candidate yes. on this team next you year? Sh- you sure can. You sure I can. I mean, like, come on, guys. He's not a he's not an eighth or ninth inning guy ever in I, his career. He's a decent sixth to seventh inning reliever on good teams. I was talking to a scout the other day, and I said, um, Jepsen has probably, I mean, he's going to be a free agent this winter. Don't forget that. He's probably cost himself a good bit of money. If he'd saved some of these games here. Millions, yes. Millions of dollars and maybe a year of a contract. He could have gotten, you know, I don't know exactly what the money is. but Call look at two years and uh, six to eight million dollars. Look, look, uh, look at Ryan Madsen's contract. Guys like that, you know, uh, not maybe not the best closer in the world and whatever. Just kind of a late inning reliever, but back-end experience save experience, proof that at the, you know, we we make fun of the proven closer line all the time, but the fact that he does have some sort of, um, uh, like, points, reference points that you can look at and say, oh, he didn't implode when the team needed him. 
Kevin Jepsen imploded. Absolutely. He's been he's been awful. He doesn't get skewered enough for how bad he's been. And look, I think he could turn it around and I think he could be a helpful part of the Twins bullpen. But he's been such a big reason why they've had late inning struggles this season and yet he's just like completely gifted the closer's role and will never be lifted from right, it. Right, but at this point I'm not sure a, a you only it's like it's like uh, watching a nature documentary and here comes the rare save situation. <laughs> right, right. Oh, look on the horizon. That's a Kevin Jepson. He's what they call in other major league cities a closer. Yeah. Yes, look at the Twins rare near extinct closer <laughs> as he walks right. up on the pitcher's mound. I mean, now I don't know, I'm not going to rip them for bullpen management at this point because it just doesn't it's like oh they kicked the wrong deck chair off the titanic right what's the difference i get it but if you and i can sit here seven months ago and say you know what that was a great second half by kevin Mm -hmm. jepson i'm not sure i'd bank on that happening again in fact there's a good chance he comes crashing back to earth in some capacity if you and i can sit here and say all those things it's a discouraging sign because you and I should not be running a major league baseball. Right. Team. No, f- we severely. Might, like, once in a while, pop up and think to ourselves, "I could." Oh yeah. No. no. But the answer is no. Severely underqualified to doing to do that job. I'm fine with hosting a podcast, but the scout that I was talking to, I said, "Yeah, you know, it's possible." And this is just my opinion. I'm just spitballing here. This isn't talking to agents. This isn't talking to team executives. It's just. I think Kevin Jepsen's maybe cost himself some money. And he goes, no, come on. Every team knows he's a seventh-inning guy, seventh-eighth-inning guy. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because the Twins treat him like a ninth-inning guy. And I get it. It's because Perkins got hurt. Everyone has to bump up a role. But, like, all I'm saying is I think you needed to have a better backup plan at closer but, than Kevin Jepsen. But it, so what you just said now, it's one scout's opinion. Correct. So it, it, but, but let's just take it as gospel for the purposes and, of And, by the way, it's hindsight bias. It's now that we've seen him implode. Yeah. The scout gets to say, oh, yeah, we all saw this coming. But that's what he was for years. He was a good, solid seventh-inning guy, a guy that if you needed, if someone was down, you could elevate him to an eighth-inning guy. And these are all kind of arbitrary labels because those roles are changing year by year. Um, but if that's the consensus around baseball, not only did the Twins go away from that consensus by saying, oh, no, he's an eighth-inning guy, they effectively said he's a ninth-inning guy in the 50-plus percent chance that Glenn Perkins goes right. down at at, uh, at some point for the third straight season. I don't know what the percentage was on Perkins, but I think they must have underestimated it or overestimated Jepsen if they said, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like we've got two closers. No, it's not. It's like you've got... I would say 60% of a closer. Like, you've got Glenn Perkins, and if there's a 60% chance he stays healthy or an 80% or a 97% chance, that's the closer that you have. Mm-hmm. Jepson, okay, fine, he's next in line, and get, I get it. We're, we're dogging on him maybe more than he deserves, but I'm just trying to make up for the fact that he hasn't received any heat. Um, he's well, been awful in the closers role, and the Twins a, are just turning a blind eye. Here's a homework assignment for listeners, and if you want to tweet us or email us or or uh, you know whatever, I guess we could throw the voicemail out there sometime during this podcast. Sure, or uh, carrier pigeons, carrier pigeons, yes. or two, or yep. if you can throw a frisbee far and <laughs> right. tape your message on the frisbee, yep, we'll take absolutely. those two. Uh, <laughs> disc golf as well. Go find a list of not closers around baseball, but go find a list and the statistics and the track records of the second best reliever on every team in baseball. Sure. Especially the contending teams. Just go American then, League, you know? I just want to see those fifteen teams. And then compare those guys to the twins bullpen. Yeah. And and if the answer is do you want to compete with these teams, well, 
your situation can't look that drastically different than their situation right. in the bullpens. Right. So um, there are two big roster things that we should be talking about on this podcast. The first is Byron Buxton. Um, let's start on that. The next will be Phil Hughes. Kyle Gibson taking his spot on Thursday in the starting rotation. Phil Hughes moving to the bullpen. Yeah. Uh, you might have to carry the Buxton conversation. I just had an hour of mind-numbing debate. On so my radio show. I heard about this. Go there was on. whispers going on in the hallway about some uh, screaming, and actually, I heard. Has anyone seen Judd? I. I like, oh, no, no one's my, seen him. He's in my trunk. Right, no one's seen him since show. your show ended, yeah, and no. there was a lot of, I heard, animosity. But I, I have to apologize. did not hear your show today. Okay. Just, just fill me. Give me the give me the nutshell version, like a 30 seconds of why that was mind-numbing, and then we can talk about Bucks. So I'm going to try and, as objectively as I can, no, represent not. Judd's argument so that he would listen to this and say, okay, that's a fair representation okay. of my argument. All right, let's hear it. And Judd wrote a column with this exact thing on 1500ESPN.com. Uh, yes, I heard his, about that too. His main question that he posed was, are the Twins calling up Byron Buxton for the right reasons? Are they calling him up because he's ready to come up, or are they calling him up because Danny Santana got hurt and they need a center fielder? To which my answer was, well, he's hitting like 340 with a 1,000 OPS in a month and a half down at Rochester. Mm-hmm. He's done exactly what you wanted him to do. He's the best prospect in baseball who is now conquering another level of the minor leagues. And it, it's not just a small sample size in AAA. Those are the numbers he was putting up at every other yeah. level coming up the ladder. So he's now done this in some sample at every level of the minor leagues. And um, you have an opening in center field right now. Right. So to me, it was like, of course. I mean, I get what you're saying that this front office has made a lot of bad decisions over the past few years, and so, you know, they with Aaron Hicks, there was a couple times where they shrugged their shoulders and said, I don't know, we don't have any, who else are we supposed to call up? Right. Well, anyone. You're you're 20 games under 500. Yeah. Preserve just, the prospects. Just fill the spot. But I can assure you, Aaron Hicks has never been as good as Byron Buxton at any level. Right. And some people people might say, well, wait a second. Just last year, Aaron Hicks played 25, 30 games at AAA and batted 340, 400 on base, 550 slugging. But I would counter and say as a 25-year-old. Sure. As a 25-year-old, that's a more common age for a AAA player. 22, not a common age for a AAA right. player. 340, 400, and 611, not a common slash line for any age, any level. Right, I don't care right. if you're 30 years old. If right. Alex Rodriguez went down to AAA, he would have a hard time hitting 350 with a right. with a 1,000 OPS. So, uh, Yeah, no, I, I agree with your point, and I am frankly – so two points on this. I'm a little surprised. A lot of people asked me on Twitter yesterday because I wrote the quick column, uh, hey, Buxton coming up, Danny Santana to the DL again. Um well, here we go. You know, I, there wasn't much of a takeaway. It's this guy's raking in AAA. He's the top prospect almost in all of baseball, and you have an opening, and whatever. Just that's what you do. That's what teams do. Um, and people are like, "Are you sure? You know, you should do whatever's best for Buxton." And well, in a lost season, going to implode right, if, if they're wrong. In a lost season, they should do what's best for Buxton. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, so two two points off of this. One, wow, we have. A group of Twins fans that are so jaded by this current Twins regime that they are upset that the top prospect in the organization who is destroying minor league pitching is coming up to play the most vitally important defensive position, a position which, by the way, he excels at. Like, what? What? We're, why are we mad at this? 
The second point I'll make off that is I've talked about this in the past. It's the distrust with the Twins front office. It is yeah. everyone looking for an excuse, and in a lot of cases, I can't blame them, looking for an excuse to blame the Twins for something that they screwed up. It's the opposite. I've talked about this in the past. It's the opposite of the Spurs effect. The Spurs go and sign a guy from Poland who is playing in the YMCA league over there, and everyone thinks, oh, what have the Spurs uncovered that no one else was smart enough to find out? Popovich is so smart, and he is. I'm not trying to be condescending. Popovich is smart. He gets the benefit of the doubt after having succeeded. The Twins are in the exact opposite boat, where anything that happens, there's this jaded, cynical, mistrusting, why? How did the Twins screw this up this time? Oh, they drafted Cole Stewart? Wow, how long before he's a bust? And it's right. like, okay, is there a certain percentage chance that Cole Stewart will become a bust? Yes. Is he having a great season this year? Yes. In fact, I think he just got promoted, right? Okay, but the point is that if the Spurs drafted Cole Stewart, he's the next LeBron. I'm crossing sports here too much. But if the Twins draft him... He's the next Ryan Leaf. Yeah. And and there's just this cynical distrust that I don't I don't know if it's healthy, but all I'm saying is it exists, and that's a big reason why people are maybe mad or upset that Buxton is now back. It is amazing how much negative uh, will that you've had to build up with your fan base to where everything you just said, where you've got the best prospect in baseball who's shredding AAA, yeah. and there's an opening in center field right now, wide open. In fact, they were just playing an infielder there, right. and then that guy got hurt. Right. And so, like, here's this wide-open path. Robbie Gross. Postman was standing in center field the other right. day. And the Twins front office has everyone so far into the eggshell bed here. <laughs> oh, my God. Is this the right time to call him up? Oh, my God. They're going to ruin him. They're going to ruin him just, just like Aaron Hicks. Right. The Twins didn't ruin Aaron Hicks. I think the tw- I don't think they did in any favors with the way they kept him up. But sure. I think, I, honest to God, I mean, Aaron Hicks, I don't know if he has the personality to be a great big league player. Mm-hmm. I just think... You know, maybe he's a more serviceable player if they had handled him differently. But yeah. but here's the thing, okay? It's not prospects aren't like Heggie's Pizza. You don't take a frozen pizza. It's not like there's a tag on the back of the prospect's jersey or undershirt that says, "Now, if you keep him down in the minor leagues, somewhere between 42 and 54 games." Yeah. <laughs> Then he'll be ready to come up to the big leagues. But make sure within those games he's getting exactly 147 plate appearances, yes. and he strikes out in about 30% of his plate Then he's ready, quote-unquote. If you like your prospect to be a bit over-prepared, right. now you can keep him down in the minor leagues until 60 games, but I yeah. wouldn't recommend putting him in uh, the minor leagues for more than 60 games. So there are differing philosophies. The Rays over the years were pitching prospects one level per year. If you dominate, if you're Chris Archer and you dominated single A, Good for you. We'll see you in double-A next year. Yep. You're not getting a midseason promotion. Now, the Twins don't do that. They're a little bit more aggressive than the Rays, but they are patient with promoting some prospects. But they're not like there's just not this exact science. Look, if the Twins knew exactly the date at which they would promote Byron Buxton, you honestly think that they would intentionally screw up that date? That is what people think. They think there's a date that's perfect, and they think the Twins know that date, and they think the Twins are intentionally screwing this up because Terry Ryan's an idiot. All you can really do is, and I know it's more than just the numbers, because he was putting up numbers and Miguel Sano. It's process, though, too. Yeah, but but regardless of whether it's the numbers or whether it's the process, until you translate the numbers and or the process to better competition, again, you don't know. So... He conquers certain levels of the minor leagues. He's 21 years old. You call him up. Okay, it didn't really work. Now let's go into 2016. He's going he's gonna to 
go through spring training. He's going to play Earn his on a job. regular basis. Yep. Um, okay, didn't love the results. The process was better. Let's let's try it again in the regular season with lower expectations, knowing. This guy's 22. Right. Let, let's see how it goes. And it wasn't like, here's where I'll, I'll make another differentiation between Hicks and Buxton. Hicks, when it was clear he couldn't hit big league pitching, still stayed up until like June a yeah. few years ago. Right. Buxton, they sent him down third week in April. He was only, it might, may seem like an eternity because those first three weeks in April were god-awful for the mm-hmm. Twins. But he was only up until about April 26th, and they sent him back down. Yeah, 49 plate appearances. I had to look that up because I was not thinking, even 200 career plate appearances. I knew he struck out in like 49 or 50 percent of his plate appearances this year, and I had the number 49 in my head, and I'm thinking, oh, he must have struck out in like 49 of 98 or something like. No, no, 24. He had only 24 strikeouts this year, and I'm not saying only. Obviously, that's a lot in 50 plate appearances, but. It was limited exposure. They sent him back down. He dominated in the minor leagues. You remember when he got sent down? And I brought up the stock analogy of shocking. We talked about an analogy on this podcast. It was really weird. Uh, breaking new grounds for us. I mentioned, okay, if people want to be selling, if they're looking to get rid of their Byron Buxton stock, I'd be happy to take it. Us talking about analogies on this podcast is like them talking about food on the food network. <laughs> right. I don't yeah. know if that's a good analogy, but I wanted no. to make the analogy analogy. And it's gotten super meta here now, so we're just going to all have to deal with it. The Buxton stocks that were sitting in my portfolio now over the past month have accumulated more value. And I don't know if it's time to cash him in now. I'm not saying he's going to click and play at an all-star level suddenly and be a perennial all-star the rest of the way. He might have to get sent back down. It's trial and error. It's trial and error. Totally possible that that happens. All I'm saying for people that wanted to sell those stocks, um, I'm still buying. I'm still happy to. I still think he's on the upswing trajectory of his career. I am, to borrow a phrase from this winter, I am still bullish on Byron Buxton. I'll take that. Comment a step further, and if the, if the hot take police want to pull me over, that's fine. I still think Byron Buxton is destined to be one of the best players in Major League Baseball. We haven't seen that yet, but he's okay. only had 100 career plate appearances. He very well could be. So. Uh, toolsy center fielder, huge arm, huge range, very fast. Uh, you'd like to see him be able to bunt a little bit better, but he should be able to beat out ground balls for hits. He smokes line drives, and he's going to hit for power. But I had people, someone real quick on yep. the on the bunting thing. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, Mike Trout, Andrew McCutcheon, those guys aren't bunting, right? Because they're great hitters. Well, Buxton, except for what we've seen in mm-hmm. the big leagues, which again is fewer than two hundred plate appearances. Yeah he's probably not going to be bunting much because you're going to want him to try and hit extra base hits. Bunting as a transition tool. Bunting as, okay, you can't get on base at a 300 clip. We need you to boost that up. You know why he sucks at bunting? Because he probably never bunted really in the minor leagues because he never needed that transitional tool of how do I beat this pitcher? I beat him by hitting a ball over the fence. (laughs) Right. Or or hitting a ground ball to shortstop and turning it into a double because I'm fast. Right. I just, I'll, I'll make contact and hit a ball to the third baseman yeah. and then uh, and, and beat it out easily. Wheels take care of the rest. Yeah, I, I'm I'm still bullish on him. Um, of course, the early results haven't been good, and if you've, if you've only seen him in the major leagues, you'd, I can understand why I'd be skeptical. And I think it's fair to be skeptical of process uh, prospects. But 22 years old, toolsy center fielder, huge arm, great minor league numbers, you have an opening, unless you wanted to play Robbie Grossman in center field, which that was a rhetorical question. I know you didn't. Byron Buxton is now getting another shot in the big leagues, and we'll see if he sticks. I, I think that's the best thing that we can say. Uh, one quick thing before we wrap up this episode yeah. on Phil Hughes sent to the bullpen. 
Uh, well, two quick things I lied. Number one, he was great in the seventh, eighth innings, but that was in 2009 for the Yankees. Yeah. That was a long time ago. He had better velocity. Um, actually, someone someone sent this over via Twitter. His career ERA in the bullpen is 211. His career ERA as a starter is 451. Yeah, so I know. Be interesting. Of course, they gave him the extension because they wanted him to be their number one starter. Right. I hated that extension. Sure. It was he should have gone into the prove it year last year, and they wouldn't have had to deal with this. But yep. Yep. here we sit. That's thing number one. Thing number two. Look at the six free agent starting pitchers Terry Ryan has signed since coming back as GM. Okay. Because I think. The book's not closed on Hughes, but the book is fairly well written on Phil Hughes at this point. I'm going to see if I can go in reverse order and and get these guys. So, Phil Hughes. In the bullpen now. Right. Um, Irvin Santana. Suspended 80 games right away, sure. but has been fairly effective since yeah. then. Um, Ricky Nolasco. Three years in, still waiting for production. Yeah, I'm done defending that. I've been the wait-and-see guy, and the he could recoup that. Stop you know, with part that. Of it, though, Wetmore, is, shut up. Just stop talking, Wetmore. You're done. But for, part of it is, and it's not your fault, man. It's not your it's fault. It's not your fault. <laughs> Ten years, Ricky Nolasco is one of those weird cases for the analytics freaks where yeah. his ex-FIP and FIP have said, oh, this guy's a really good pitcher. He should like, be better. Like a 360 ex-FIP, what's going on? And every year, instead of that kind of coming together, ERA mm. and FIP, at the end of 10 years, there's a half-run gap or yeah. more still. It's weird. His, the Carlos Zambrano factor, but sure. reversed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I wasn't even just defending him on that. I mean, I'm talking stuff and strikeouts, and I know that plays into XFIP, but like, I, I just thought, hey, we are way too down on him collectively. He could provide some va- – what value? Like, there's – it's just – it's been too long now. He's been – Yes, injured, but when he's healthy, he's been ineffective, and there's just not there's no defending it. He's he's been terrible. You're three for six so far. Three, Mike Pelfrey, among the worst starters in the league over the past five years. Kevin Correa, among the worst starters in the <laughs> league for the past five years. And um, I so am I maybe I'm going back too far on this. This might have been a Bill Smith guy, but I think it was after Terry took over. Jason Marquise. Uh, that's correct. It was a Terry guy. Did I just go six for six? It was a Terry guy. And did he or just released go released before the end of May? Did he just go uh, one for six then in terms of signing? Because I think you could still argue on the Santana contract. The jury's still out on Santana, but the rest of them, man, it's not even that. Oh, this didn't really work out. It's whoa, fiery <laughs> car crash. Right, what, right. Whoa, what is happening? Why are there there's the jaws of life has been busted right. out? <laughs> there's a gawker slowdown in the other lane because the traffic headed in the other direction is rubbernecking to figure out whoa who's oh it's just it's kevin correa stay tuned for 60 second ap news headlines